filibuster is supported through patreon by listeners like you check us out at patreon.com slash filibuster we also get support from the ehrlich law office discrimination wage and litigation solutions for the district of columbia and northern virginia they handle workplace discrimination non-competition and non-solicitation litigation civil rights and a whole lot more for a free consultation go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster Today was um, was a big day for me. It was my first day back at work after uh, a long time of paternity leave since since June, and I'm that I'm life. really lucky that my my employer uh, at my day job uh, offered this level of parental leave, and I know lots of people don't have it, and I I wish that was different, but I am tired tonight in a a very different way than I've been tired over the last four months. Um, I'm not like falling asleep at eight o'clock the way I I had been when I was trying to keep up with uh, an infant and a three-year-old for all our port or part of the day, but I'm very exhausted in a different way. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And it was, yeah, I, I don't know. I thought that, merited mentioning at the the top for some reason i'm also tired because of the last uh week in sports were just terrible well <laughs> just terrible if, if people saw me uh tweeting i guess it was during the day before the dc game sunday uh, i mentioned that the last three games i'd watched before that um the last three soccer games of any kind were just Three dreadful games. Like the U.S. loss was one of them. Uh, Everton against Brighton uh, on, I guess it was Sunday morning, was one of them. And that that game's going in the Hall of Fame, so, isn't uh, it? As one of the worst games so, ever played. It, a league, right? That that was a league. That uh, was a league it, one it game. Right? Might as well have been. Um, if you just slapped uh, random league one club badges onto um, Wolverhampton versus, and the other the uh, thing that adds to it is that. Everton's Another away team. jersey is some kind of like bizarre purple neon nonsense uh, combination that has nothing to do with anything that's ever happened to them, um, and so it, it was like it didn't look like Everton. Uh, uh, it <laughs> might as well have been. right. I was gonna say Wolverhampton versus. I was gonna say Wolverhampton versus Brighton and Hove Albion, but Brighton is the, in the Premier in League this year. Brighton was half half the battle here. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the game the game was awful. The U.S. game was awful. Um, <laughs> even the also Wolves are in the championship right now. Even, ben, you named no League One teams. It doesn't matter. Well, I know I know Bromley FC is I think in Conference North right now. Maybe they're in Conference Have you gotten National. Their, their jersey uh, yet? No, I don't care <laughs> that on. much. I mean, if someone wants to buy one for me, but I no. Think, I think that no. needs to happen. I mean, if someone wants to buy it for me, I'll wear it. But I'm not <laughs> going to I'll go on record it. right now. I will not wear it. Well, you're not named it's true, I'm not. That is why I wouldn't wear it. So, e- even the yeah. That I know nothing about. Even the one game I managed to watch that was fun still involved my team having a player red carded and then having uh, two goals scored in the final like 30 seconds on them to almost lose the game. Um, so even when things go well uh, at soccer right now, it still doesn't really go well. It's still like this harrowing 
Um, it only goes well when you're watching the USU 17s when five to zero. Right, that that was, game took place during the workday on a weekday, so yeah. I didn't. Yes, and I definitely didn't watch it. No, of course I, not. I, I definitely didn't, didn't watch it, and that, I don't have any tone of voice uh, to indicate otherwise. I, I watched about I watched about forty minutes of it, and then I had like meetings and shit. It's nice. It's good for Chris Durkin, uh, the maybe the yeah. one player who can save us all from our uh, future dystopia. And he's playing both defensive midfielder and center back, or he has played both positions throughout this tournament, based on what I've what I've read anyway. Which, you know, it's nice that he's pl- playing at a high yeah, level at both positions, especially, um, especially since. Given the current lineup of DC United, center back seems a more likely place to break through with DC uh, in the no, next year or two. I disagree. Okay, I disagree. well, we can talk about that this off season. Little preview for folks. I mean, they're they're going to have to spend money on uh, on a full on a center back. And so. if they buy one center back, the the other center back spot could still be available for Durkin. <laughs> Anyway, I sat. I, I'm tired in a way that you are after sitting still in a room having information thrown at you for hours and hours, and then dealing with HR nonsense after that. Uh, completely predictable, understandable nonsense, but nonsense nonetheless. Um, should we get to this then? I guess let's start. The All show. right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'm pretty tired. I could just talk about being tired some more. <laughs> Okay. Bye. Hey, hey, welcome. You can, you can Benjamin. You, oh, I, I was going to end the show. I was going to say you can uh, see us all at uh, blackandredunited.com <laughs> and uh, online at, at filibuster DCU and at black and red you. Keep going. You're doing a great job. <laughs> Uh, you could also email us at filibusterpodcast at, d- at gmail.com. Uh, uh, th- this has been Ben Bromley and thanking Adam and Jason. Uh, say good night, Jason. Hey, hey, welcome in. <laughs> hey hey welcome in this is filibuster the black and no, red united say goodbye jason are we done future dystopia i mean I are we done with this this <laughs> yes i'm uh, done all right should we just end it it's been six minutes that's a show right <laughs> we're, we're doing our best to chase people i mean away. it's nervous at least <laughs> Yeah. We only want we I mean, don't want fair weather listeners here. We want people who are willing to struggle through the bad times with us. If they're already listening to this, they're already uh, self loathing enough to have watched at least some of DC United versus and they Portland fit right Tigers. in with us because of that. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is filibuster, yeah. the Black and Red United podcast. The show is happening. It's not over. I promise. Derbis. I'm Adam Taylor. Ben Derbis Bromley and. Jason Dystopia Anderson are are with me thanks to the magic of the internet. As always, tonight we are talking about DC United's four nothing loss to the Portland Timbers and why the otherwise meaningless fourth goal is actually really anger making and not at DC United for once. Um, we're also talking and previewing. DC United season finale at RFK, which also happens to be the forever finale of RFK Stadium this coming Sunday afternoon on decision day. No decisions will be made as a result of that DC United game against who else? The 
Red Bulls of New York and New Jersey, mostly New Jersey. The New York, New Jersey Metro yeah. Stars. So DC versus the Metros. Uh, there's no better way to end uh, to to see out to send off RFK Stadium. So that's going to be happening on Sunday. We're going to talk about that. Before we do anything, though, Derbis, what are you drinking? I had to go to the liquor store today. I didn't have I, I didn't have much time. I had to go pick up my child afterwards. Uh, I grabbed some bourbon. I had some uh, Coke Zero Cherry at home, so I just smashed that together, and that's what I'm drinking. Dystopia. Uh, I decided uh, to make myself a, a margarita because I had the time and the uh, adequate number of limes to do so. Um, so I have a what do I got? Um, Olmeca Altos uh, Plata is the tequila I used uh, because it's the only tequila I have right now. Um, actually pretty good. I'd never had it before. Um, good and, and cheap, um, which is hard to pull off for, uh, your, uh, silver or Blanco, uh, tequilas. Um, and then, uh, Grand yeah. Marnier instead of triple sec, because I have that because I'm a high class individual and, uh, so you went with cheap tequila and expensive. Uh, essentially. Yeah. Mixer. But I mean the, the cheap, but or good tequila, expensive. um, which is the important thing. I'm not going to, um, I'm not going to befoul my body or this show with uh, Jose Cuervo on any circumstances. We have a well-established no. position. Anyone who drinks Cuervo on the show so, is yeah. uh, right and out. limes. You can't, I, I didn't buy premium limes because it's limes. Um, there's only so premium you can get. Top yes. shelf limes are limes. Uh, a couple years ago, uh, I, I visited my friend Nick, the, who's the general manager at uh, Wardman Wines in, in uh, Brookland, uh, with a brief from Anne Louise to talk to him and, and find a really nice bottle of wine that fit my taste as a birthday present to me. I went and we figured out that Chateauneuf de Pop from the Rhone Valley in southern France is basically my wheelhouse. And uh, he set me up with a fantastic bottle, uh, and I bought a couple of them, and they were absolutely amazing. They were exactly the the red wine that I wanted. Um, and randomly, I came across a different, uh, cheaper bottle of Chateauneuf de Pop um, this week, and we opened it last night and had a little bit, saved the rest, and I'm having some of that right now. And it is a, a very lovely red wine that is exactly my taste. Um, it's it's really delicious, and um, I'm really happy Nick turned me on to it because it's it's super tasty. So that's what I got. I guess cool. Soccer? No. All right. How about if we only tangentially talk about soccer? We use soccer to enter a discussion about something arguably more vital. I guess. How's that sound? I'll allow it. I don't know where you're going with this. Hearing no objections. Uh, DC United went to Portland on Sunday and uh, played the Timbers fairly evenly for 43 minutes. Not totally evenly, but but they Mm. they competed pretty well for 43 minutes uh, and and then really, really didn't uh, dropping the game four to nothing. Ultimately, it all started with a penalty 
late in the first half. It was actually the final kick of the first half. But that we're going to get to that. We're going to get to that. Don't worry. It's actually uh, the fourth goal, the last goal of the game that that has a lot of people talking and not because of the play uh, of uh, the goal scorer or the quality of the finish or anything like that. Uh, It's actually the the incident that started the play. It was a a pass back to Steve Birnbaum um, that was probably ill advised. That's neither here nor there. Uh, Jeremy Ebobise closed in on on Birnbaum, uh, tackled him, uh, knocking the ball away from behind. Him. Pretty clearly a foul. And as the two of them go down in a heap, Ebobise's elbow manages to slam Steve Birnbaum's head into the ground. Um, I don't know if they, they hit it exactly the same time um, or, or if there was some you know, bouncing going on either way. Steve Birnbaum's head hit the ground and elbow hit him in the head and he was knocked out cold. He was lying face down, motionless, absolutely motionless, prone, prone uh, on the ground for the duration of this play. Uh, Portland would go on to score. The VAR was not indicated. Um, we're told that every, doesn't every goal matter. is reviewed. Uh, this did not come back as a result of the foul. More importantly, Steve, Steve Geiger, uh, Steve Geiger, Steve Geiger. I don't Who's know. Steve Mark, Geiger? Is that, is yeah, that Mark's brother? Uh, he, he's gone incognito after this. He's, he's gone into the witness he protection should. program. Uh, Mark Geiger failed to stop play. He ran right by a prone Steve Birnbaum on the ground, saw him not moving, must've thought he was just not moving from embarrassment and a, a, very recently national team quality player decided just to quit on, on the play and not move at all. Even his legs, even his hands. Um, Mark Geiger allowed play to continue when there was a very obvious head injury on the field uh, twice in the game earlier, including once for Steve Birnbaum, he had very quickly and rightly stopped the game for head injuries or suspected head injuries. Um, Chose not to in this case, and who cares about the goal? Um, play should have been stopped, and this is just um, absurd, obscene, ridiculous. Choose the superlative adjective you want, Ben. This is not I will. okay. I will. Mark Iger should be fired and should never ref another MLS game. This is unconscionable, and it's unacceptable. He saw he saw Steve Birnbaum down. There's no way he didn't see him on the ground. And with the way the game state was, there's it, it is just completely unacceptable. Not no matter to what the, the game. game state is, there's a player very obviously knocked out cold on the ground. Your brief is right. number one and, 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 to protect the players, and number two to protect the right. integrity of the game or whatever. You have to protect player safety, and, and he didn't in this case. Exactly, and and there's a very different. There's a big difference between someone who is hurt but rolling around on the ground, which like he's hurt, sure, but he's going to be fine if he's rolling around. Like he, I mean, maybe not fine, but he's not in immediate danger of being injured. But somebody who is knocked out and is just collapsed and lying prone on the ground, that you have no option but to immediately stop the game. And because he didn't, Mark Geiger should never ref in MLS again. 
something that Adam said while he was building into this uh, kind of echoes for me, and it's uh, what he said was head injuries or suspected head injuries, and adding that suspected is very important here because Birnbaum was obviously injured. He was not moving. Uh, before he hit the ground, he had stopped trying to move. It's a the classic sign of someone being knocked out is the fact that they have not they're not moving even as they fall. Like if you fall and you're conscious, you try and steal, you know, use your arms to soften the blow. Um it, this was obvious. It was way beyond suspected. Um and there's plenty of room for him to suspect uh that there's a head injury here. Um the nature of the collision itself, the fact that uh, the game is on uh, turf. The fact that uh, Ewobise fell and then f- sort of flew over Burnbaum and landed up on top of him. All of those things are reason to suspect and check for a head injury, and he just didn't bother even trying... He didn't even bother entering the thought process of whether or not he should begin analyzing whether there's reason to suspect a head injury. He just carried on as if nothing had occurred whatsoever which is a failure in player safety and a player a failure in judging fouls which are the 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 fundamental aspects of refereeing a soccer game. Yeah, you talk about um, first protect player safety and in in this case, you know, you don't stop the game for any old injury, but right. FIFA and MLS and PRO have all independently decided head injuries are different. Right. And you don't stop the game. You let the player stop the game for another injury, unless someone's bone is sticking out of their skin, then stop the game for sure. But head injuries are, are of a specific and, and they're a point of emphasis, particular type that, that you have to, you have to protect the players even more in that right. case, because players have shown and coaches have shown, they won't protect themselves. Players and, will not protect themselves when it comes to head injuries. So you have to step in and be the, the calmer, outside voice he failed to do that and he failed to stop the foul which is the second thing i said earlier Mm. integrity of the game actually you know calling the rule the game as it is supposed to be called and he failed on that front too and then the var uh fotis uh bazakos also failed to alert geiger that there was a foul directly leading to the goal so i I mean that's that's a secondary issue Mm. or tertiary issue but Man, the, the main nobody did their job right yeah, in that. I mean, the main concern, of course, is the injury. Um, but this situation is such a mess that even if even if Burnham had come out completely okay, um, if and it, collision, we do, we should add that he joined the team at the hotel later that night. He's not hospitalized. He was diagnosed with a concussion, um, but he he joined the team at the hotel. Don't look for him on Sunday against the Metros at RFK Stadium, but he's he's walking. He's you know he's okay as far as that goes. Um, who we'll, we'll see how he does recovering from the concussion, but he's not uh, hospitalized or or comatose or anything like that. But I mean, the the thing I was trying to say is that um, even if you take the concussion out of this, if the collision happens. And he doesn't hit his head on the turf in in such a way where he has any damage. The player falling over him doesn't collide with the back of his head, etc. If all of that stuff doesn't happen, um, Geiger letting this play go on is a severe failure as a referee. Um, from the simple act of being able to judge what is a foul and what isn't. Um, the VAR not calling down there, uh, that failed. That system failed. Um 
Also, we haven't really mentioned it, but his assistant referees, I was looking uh, this evening at his, at the assistant referee on that side, and he was further away uh, than Geiger was, but that assistant referee also well, did nothing. And, and I, don't, I don't really put anything on the fourth official because the angle he's got on that play, the number of things probably going on, the, the game is getting close to the end, he's got to look after... I wasn't talking about the fourth official. I was talking about the, the ARs on the other AR. side of the field. There's many players between him and the ball, uh, him and him and what's going on. Um, he, I don't think he's in a position where he can interject with any authority whatsoever. Um, the where he's standing, he wouldn't have any input. He would be saying like, "Well, I, I mean, a guy fell down. I don't know what to tell you." Um, he would the, pretty rightly say, "My center official had a better view of that than I did. I will defer to him because it was on the far side of the field." That's he. That's Geiger's call to make, and he failed. Right, and and yeah, and Geiger. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I said this on um, on our uh, broader SB Nation Slack uh, in discussing it. Geiger was. I wish we could write this off as like Geiger didn't position himself well enough to see what happened, and that's why he made the mistake. But Geiger actually positioned himself ideally to spot all of this. Uh, he was exactly where he needed to be. Uh, he didn't have an obstructed view. He wasn't too far behind. He wasn't <coughs> having to sprint at 100% to get in position. He was right where he needed to be uh, to see all of this, and he failed uh, from an officiating standpoint, from a player safety standpoint, um, the VAR system. And I, I remember seeing somewhere in the outburst of this, right after it happened on Twitter, I saw a note from the folks at Stumptown Footy where they said, I, I believe it was them, um, that he made the VAR gesture of, not the TV gesture, but the putting your finger in your earpiece, which is the signal to players that um, something's being discussed, at least. So the players know to... Um, the idea is you're, the players are supposed to leave you alone for a second so you can hear. Um, and you at least know that VAR has been engaged uh, in evaluating the play. Um, but that what that means is that Fodis Bazakos, with a chance to see that play on multiple monitors... Uh, and slowed down, also didn't see a foul, um, which means he failed at his job because this is this isn't even this isn't a gray area foul where we're mad because it's our team. This is a black and white like you can't do that in a game. You can't run into the back of somebody uh, and clobber them. That's not allowed in soccer. Um, so that failed. Geiger failed from calling fouls, and he failed to look after the players on the field. Um, and it wasn't a malicious play, but it was an obvious situation where the play needed to stop for player safety. Um, it was cut and dried. This one is one. It's one of those where I I don't think anyone would have been surprised uh, if he had just said, "Okay, hold on, everyone, stop, stop this play. We've got a guy who's down. He's he's flat on his face and he hasn't moved for like three seconds. We got to do something about this. We got to get the trainers on the field." Um, and instead, he just ran right by. Uh, I mean, the fact that he ran by means that he probably had a moment to, like, this is in his field of vision. He has more time to be like, huh, I wonder why Birnbaum's just staying down. He's not even on the ground yelling at me. He's not gesturing. He's just laying flat on the ground. Uh, not even rolling, rolling around. He's he's if he had been holding his head, if he, had been, if he had been on his back holding his head, Geiger would have stopped play. I think what, the fact he that have? he wasn't moving, I, I assume I mean, so because you're holding your head. That's a suspected head injury. And he sure, did it earlier he, in the game. But I think, failure, I don't know. And 
so egregious that I don't know that you can give yeah. him even credit for that because it's yeah, that's it's fair. So beyond the pale, it just it was so glaringly obvious that you had a severe injury. Uh, you know, if someone gets knocked yeah, out. Yeah, it was. I'm just trying to. Yeah, it's my nature to try to figure no, out that, what's that, happening. That's why I come back. No, that's head. why I come back. And I, that's why I come back to you can't let him coat. You can't let him. Yeah, it's an, it's a it's a failure on a it's that level egregious. in a way that he. He saw an, a, a person down and completely motionless, and right. he's it's a the guy. Of compassion. He's it's the a guy with the power judgment. to right. to stop play, and the professional athletes around him, even his teammates, they they have to keep playing because you know right. their stopping right. isn't necessarily going to. Your instincts are to keep playing. Um, yeah, your instincts when there's a their job is and the ball runs be. on is you have to you chase the ball. You've been doing that over and over again for your entire time playing you're, ex- you're expecting the guy whose job it is to have right. the player's safety at heart to stop the play yeah, when somebody is injured yeah. that's his and job that's that is blame literally the his timbers. job i mean i don't think sebastian blanco took yeah. i don't think he ever no, actually no, no, saw no, no, no. burnbaum stay down um so he never even had the opportunity no to i don't think, think he did i'm either. gonna no. play on regardless um and so everyone's scrambling to try and continue playing soccer because no one told them to stop and um, the only players on the field that could have seen what was going on were the ones that were so far behind the play that they never could have gotten involved in the first place. If you're right, or if you're Deshaun Brown, uh, or I mean, I'm sorry, Bruno Miranda standing around leading the line at that point in the game, you're not going to get back in time to make any difference in the play. So you see Burnbaum stay down, you know, he's down the play needs to stop. All you can really do is like, well, wave your arms and yell. But if, if no one's looking in that direction, it's never going to make an impact. Um, this is yeah. why referees have been given this level of control to say, we need to stop the game for a bigger, there's a bigger thing happening. Um, and if you're not, if you're Watching, not up for that responsibility, then can you be <clears throat> refereeing games? No. Watching it live on, on TV, I like, you see something, you see a human shaped thing motionless and it draws your eye because everything else is moving around it. And he he's just lying there. And I I remember, like, I, I didn't even think to get angry or to wave my hands or yell at the TV in that moment. I was just, like, I I was shaken. I was, I, I, I was stunned, honestly, because there's Steve Birnbaum just lying motionless on the ground. I'm like, is he dead? Is, what, what's going on? Like, why is play still happening? I, it. Like I, I couldn't form a coherent thought to vocalize at that point. It was just, I was just like, what, what, why, how just, I, I wasn't even to that point. I was just, he's not moving. He's not moving. That's all I could really think of. And how, um, Steve Geiger, Mark Geiger, I'm going to call him Steve from now on. He's lost I think that's the right his name to have now. the name that he was given. <laughs> yes. He he failed on such a human level that he he no longer gets his his actual first name. Um, how Geiger failed on on such a a huge level is is so and it, it's inexplicable. I I just I don't understand it. I guess this puts puts to bed the concept because for the longest time the knock on Geiger was that he was so strict by the book that he was overdoing it and causing games to get out of hand that didn't need to because of his, you know, you happen to be one blade of grass off your line when a penalty kick is taken or what have you. Um, And that was causing problems. 
But I think this can put to bed the concept that he is such a stickler that he's overdoing it because clearly in this case you want you wanted a stickler. Uh everyone yeah. everyone involved needed somebody who would apply the rules as they are written and he just didn't uh for reasons that can't yeah. uh we don't know. Uh I I didn't see anything where the pool reporter uh is allowed to support or one pool reporter is allowed to submit questions. I don't think that happened. Um it would have maybe ch- it, that might have been a different tune if this game were on the East Coast and some some uh, United focused uh, folks were in the press box, but out on the West Coast in the, in a lost season that wasn't happening. Um, and you know the Timbers had a lot of other Timbers media. I don't really blame them either because they had a lot of things going on. Um, they're looking at a four nothing win for their their local team that they cover. They've got the Portland Thorns in the building having their. Um, they're getting to lift the trophy in front of uh, the Timbers Army. So uh, all of that, you know. Yeah, they clinched their playoff spot right. last so night. There's a ton well. of stuff going on where people aren't necessarily going to ask that, especially at that stage in the game. If I'm not mistaken, that request tends to come around about five minutes before this play would have happened. Um, so unfortunately, we don't have Geiger's opinion at the time. We'll never get that uh, now. Um PRO has not released any statement as of yet, um, though we we called them out. Because um, they're cowards. They, I mean, generally speaking, they tend to take a few days to say anything about anything. Um, this one, mm-hmm. I think they probably should have uh, expedited that process. Um, I'm hopeful that tomorrow we will get something, but I mean, I'm not hopeful in that I know we're getting something and I'm trying to play coy. I'm hopeful in that... I, I at this point I'm looking for any positive in this situation, and a po- one positive would be PRO saying like, "Look, this was a terrible mistake that shouldn't have happened, and we need to address it out of we need to go out of our ordinary process and address this as quick as possible, and be transparent about what's what was wrong, what the rules say, what should have been done, uh, and all that stuff." And I hope that they don't drag their feet, but I mean, this is American soccer; we know what happens. Uh, people tend to drag their feet. I'm looking up um, Taylor Twelman's Twitter right now because I would assume he would be in on this. He, might not, he, he, he actually might hasn't commented on this, which, um, it, I, yeah, I'm guessing he hasn't seen it because that he's yeah such a big advocate for player safety. When it, it comes I, to I concussions suspect he would have been absolutely livid um, because if you've seen him cover a game where something like this happens, yeah. I mean, he is. Yeah, exactly. He doesn't hold back. And he shouldn't. His career was ended by con- concussion issues, and this is the kind of thing that needs to okay. happen, uh, or th- that needs to be addressed. And it it sucks that in an era when we are so much more aware of it, to see a failure on this this level. Anyway, there was actual soccer played, and there were three goals before that, um, and it feels. Um, a little inappropriate to go back and talk about those after this issue, but you know, this is nominally a soccer podcast. So we will, we will do that. Um, the first goal came, I mentioned earlier on a penalty very late in the first half, Chris Korb, uh, with the ball very deep in United's half makes a back pass. It almost wasn't even a back pass. It was almost a square pass to, um, to Steve Clark in goal it under hits it inexplicably 
it, it wasn't a long back pass. It was it was a regular pass, and he just casually underhit it. Um, Darren Maddox beats Steve Clark to the spot, nudges the ball around him, and Clark right. takes him out. Very clear PK. No arguments, I, I think, from anybody <laughs> on that. It, it's just, what the hell was Chris Corb doing on that back pass? And, and for that matter, in the rest of the game, he's... Should have he, been on the field. Even before his injury issues, he was the fastest guy on the field, almost no matter what. And there were very few players who over distance were faster than Chris Corb. And he, he still has some of that speed now, but he was targeted. He was targeted all night and successfully by, by the Timbers. I think three of the four goals came basically from, from were created in his vicinity. And, and that includes the PK. I, I would like to note that Portland is, is kind of, when their starting lineup is on the field, when they've got Alvis Powell, who hadn't started the last three games, um, when he's in, when it, Blanco is on the right instead of the left, they are heavily right-sided. So I don't know that they necessarily targeted Corb. Um, but well, we didn't, advantage. He certainly didn't do anything to they prevent their, their right-sidedness from showing well, through. That, yeah, and... Part, some of that is a consequence of the way United set up. I mean, if you look at the midfield, Zoltan Stieber, for good reason, is allowed freedom to drift inside, freedom to occasionally choose uh, risky, make riskier decisions based on staying forward for for the attack rather than trying to hustle back. He's not Paul Ariola. He's a different kind of player, um, and that also plays into it a little bit that. United's, you know, the way their players were set up, it just, it, it, it occurred to me about 20 minutes, or maybe not 20 minutes, but right when United started to let the game get stretched around the 30th minute was when they really started to, um, their plan A, their stated plan A was to keep possession and slow the game down and use possession as a defensive tool. Um, they did a good job. Portland started to up the tempo and solve the initial version of the game plan. I think Ben Olsen needed to switch uh, Stieber and Ariola. I think he needed to play Ariola on the left um, and say straight up that your your job right now is primarily defensive. Um, you need to go with Alvis Powell and make sure that he's not this extra number in the attack because that's kind of what Portland does. They they play their midfield very narrow. It's five narrow with one striker, and then the fullbacks come forward and provide the width, and you eventually get overwhelmed. Um and not doing that, I, I understand that it means, you know, playing Ariola on less than his preferred side. But at that point in the game, I think it required your better defensive winger to get over there and do the defending because Alvis Powell destroyed mm-hmm. DC United on this game. Um, and it wasn't happening at first. It's only started happening once the Timbers figured out how to up the tempo and, and stretch the game wide as much as, you know, they, they up the tempo, but they also stretch the field out. And... um even when the game was going okay, the moments of danger came when um, that width opened up gaps and United all of a sudden, you know, a lot of Timbers fans wanted a dog so red card on Burnbaum for the foul in the 26th minute on uh, Maddox where he grabbed his shoulder. Um, that that doesn't happen. That A play of that level of danger doesn't happen, um, regardless of what you think of the call. It doesn't happen if United is able to keep their shape and keep the game contained, which they had started to lose uh, their ability to do so. Um, so, yeah, I think that there was a chance to address some of what was going on as the game started to get out of DC's grasp. Um, 
when it wasn't done. Um, I, I don't, I don't want to come across sounding like I'm blaming Stieber for not doing that because that's not his job in this setup. Um, that's not who he is as a player. Um, I think that that needed to come from the sideline where we, we see United switch mm-hmm. their wingers all the time. And I think this was a chance where it should have happened. And it, the fact that it didn't is a little, I mean, I, I can kind of understand saying like, well, this team needs to learn how to play in their best spots in a challenging environment. Um, but the downside is that if they don't get it right, if they can't get control of the game back uh, in their initial setup, then yeah. what do you do? Um, and also, that's a that's a switch that's going to happen. Like, next year, we're going to see those two players switch positions for defensive purposes. I guarantee it. Um, so not doing it in this game, I think, was an oversight. And there's something to be said for damn results right now. We're trying to build understanding and get players used to their positions and and all that and I don't know if that was Ben Olsen's thinking or not in this case it might have been it might not um but you don't want to go out with for nothing against anyone in any circumstances uh especially in MLS where uh even as parody is dying it's it's only mostly dead parody is still a thing Portland are not inherently four goals better than DC United, not on the the payroll differences, not on any any level, not, not even, even in this game. game. But they weren't really that, the scoreline did not reflect the the game. Right, that was but you still, um, unfortunately, when you're bad, sometimes you run across um, Jeff Hatanella having one of his best games of the season, and you say, oh, "Great, that's going to happen tonight of all times." Right. So it's it's unfortunate, and you know you got to give individuals on Portland's team credit for some of those finishes. Um, Everyone except the PK was potentially a goal of the week nominee. And in fact, two of them were including the the one where Birnbaum was knocked out. Right. Which, you know, the league should have shown a little uh, class on that and said like, let's not, let's not put this goal forward that involved someone getting serious. I don't like the word class Um, in this case. I'd rather use humanity. Okay. (laughs) That that's also uh and any sort of uh positive you know integrity yeah. that kind of thing, um but yeah uh Portland scored three even even you know Blanco's work on the goal once the fourth goal once he got the ball was very difficult um they scored three high degree of difficulty goals um and Atanella robbed United on several of their, you know, they didn't create a bunch and I'm certainly not under the impression that they deserved anything out of the game. They deserved to lose. Uh, but if you sh- showed me that game without the goals and said this one ends 2-1 Portland, I'd say, okay, that's fair. And if it was 3-1 Portland, I'd say, uh, all right, that's also close enough to fair that I can live with it. Um, 4 nothing is not what happened in this game. Um, but that happens sometimes when you're on the road in, in you go cross country and you have a game plan that's decent, but what do you do once the other team starts to solve it a little bit? You have to be able to, you know, we talk about phases of the game. The second phase of this game is where DC United lost control. Um, though, sadly enough, if Chris Corb doesn't make that back pass and they get to halftime at 0-0, uh, having, you know, the five minutes before that, they got lucky twice that they didn't concede. If they get to halftime at 0-0, they get that psychological boost of saying like, okay, some things just went wrong, but we got out of it. We got the gift uh, of these misses. We have 15 minutes to sort some things out on the on the the whiteboard. Um, ind- you know, individual assistants can sit individual players down and say, "Look, hey, look, we noticed this. This has to change for you." 
Um, all of those things are in place to reset the game, so to speak, and let United sort of bring the tempo back down. But you make a mistake at a crucial time, and this is what that actually happened. That actually gets to the point I was trying and not really succeeding to make, uh, which is the you don't want a team that is fragile as the season ends. Uh, If you're trying to build for next year, you don't want it to be any part of the team mentality that that one goal, even even a backbreaking goal at the end of the half, is is enough to break your spirit and. I don't know if that that goal broke United spirit or not, but it, it, it kind of felt that way that they had survived and they were ready to go into halftime all knotted up and, and, you know, come out and do better in the second half, get back to, to the game plan and then to have it fall apart, the shoulders slump, the heads go down. Here we go again. And that's a, the well, team I- broke that mentality after 2013 going into 2014 after a lot of turnaround uh, a lot of roster turnover this year. The I think the largest part of roster turnover, at least at the top of the roster, has already happened. You don't want those guys falling into that. Mm-hmm. If you if you're looking to build for next year, I don't know why you're starting Chris Corb over Chris Duyachum in the yep. first place. Yeah, no, that's There's a great no point. point. You you know what Chris Corb is going to bring, and he's a fine player, and I don't want to diminish that. But it's the same as not playing. Marcelo Sarvas, the same as not starting Lloyd Sands, the same as not starting Sean Franklin. You know what all of them are going to bring, and they don't need this experience. They don't need these extra minutes. What you need is playing players like Ian Harks, like uh, Jalen Robinson, like Chris Oduiachem, because they need those minutes to develop and to start proving uh, whether or not they can be key pieces next season. And who knows what Chris Duyachum does in this game? Uh, it may be better. It may be worse. We don't know. But we exa- we know right. what Chris Corb is going to do. And Chris Duyachum deserved the chance to prove what he was going to be able and to do in to, this game. To double down on that. There are material reasons to put him in as well. Um, the fact is that one of the things we don't really know that much about is how he would do in a situation where there's not an out-and-out winger to deal with. We've seen... Odoi Atchum have to play against David Akam and a couple other guys. Um, but Portland plays differently. Like I said, this is a team that likes to play both wingers are not really wingers. They're in, they're playing an interior role and their fullbacks are overlapping for Odoi Atchum to make it an MLS. He's going to have to adjust to seeing that more often and be good at it. And this was a great chance to say, all right, this is a team that's going to the playoffs. They might even win the Western conference. Now, um, there's a lot of talent here. Let's see if you can, you know, what you can handle against that level of play today, what you need to adjust to, what you need to fix, what what needs to be monitored. Um, all of those things could have been tested in this game. We also could have, if he ended up playing straight in at left back rather than at right back, we could have gotten at least a look at how capable he is of playing on both sides. Um, but instead, we got Chris Korb, who, as I've said a few times on this show, when he came back from injury after the first couple games, basically he was Chris Korb. It was exactly what we got before. It's no different at all, um, which means we don't have anything to learn there. Um, and so we end up not learning anything uh, to the detriment on the scoreboard as well. Like there's no, there's no good outcome in this at all. And um, the only excuse I can, I've been able to think of uh, for that, that sort of lineup selection is that 
the young players aren't earning it in training, which is a different problem, but uh, we don't know that. We have no way to know that. Um, so right now, you know, we unless the coaches throw their young players under the bus, which is a, a different kind of problem, um, we don't get a chance to find out why they're not playing. So it just it looks very bad uh, based on the evidence that we have available to us as observers. It just looks like it's puzzling. Like, why is this player not getting in when there's nothing left to play for? And it's a good way to test this player out. Um, and it's not just Odoyachim. It's a couple guys. It's a couple of the younger players that were stuck wondering what's happening here. I mean, I will say at least we got to see um, Bruno Miranda play up front. Not that he got to see much of the ball, um, but he got those 15 minutes instead of Deshaun Brown. That's something. Um, because we know Miranda will be back next year. That's the term of his loan deal, whereas uh, Brown's situation, basically, there's no guarantee he comes back, and if he does, realistically, it's going to be at a significant pay cut. Um, So at least in Miranda's case, we got to look at someone who might be a part of something next year, whereas Brown maybe isn't. So it's happening in some spots, but it's not happening consistently enough for anyone's liking, I think. Yeah, I can't put it a better way. So I'm just going to end the segment. Uh, We will be right back to talk about the finale of soccer at RFK Stadium, at least MLS soccer. Stick around. This is Filibuster. Hey, Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell Uh, me. Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, is our goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are, are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages, or or do something else oh, nefarious, in a, I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I, I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office. It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, they they offer discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except, no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. <laughs> Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. The end is nigh. I've always wanted to yell that. The final night of Major League Soccer at Robert F. Kennedy Memorial Stadium is upon us. DC United will host the New York, New Jersey Metro Bulls, whatever you want to call them. With the Atlantic Cup on the line in the season finale, Sunday, 4 p.m., RFK Stadium, hashtag last call at RFK. Um, get to East Capitol Street this weekend if you can. Um, I Looking this up, I noticed that MLS and DC United's website don't even mention TV coverage. <laughs> Usually they will say News Channel 8 or ABC 7 or something there i assume this will be on news channel 8 but it's not actually listed on on the website um 
So just to be safe, get a, get a ticket I in mean, the upper deck. New Channel is legally obligated under the terms of the contract to air all non-national TV right, games. Right, this will be on some Sinclair outlet somewhere. Yes. <laughs> under um, the contract. And, uh, because realistically, this may be, in terms of the decision day, which, again, I, I as I did last year, I don't like because it makes it impossible to see more than one game at once when there are many games of importance. Um, but MLS isn't going to make money marketing only to me. Um, decision day requires uh, drama and a game where the Red Bulls can't change their position in the standings and DC United can't change their position in the standings. Is not a game that you put on ESPN, regardless of RFK's uh, emotional worth to us. ESPN probably doesn't care. So that's why it's not going to be on national TV. Yeah, and you can't blame anyone at, at the league or the networks for that. There are other I mean, people you can blame. You can't, tell me, me, you can't tell me what to do. Part of me does blame You're them right, anyway, ben. because I feel like RFK is more important than the MLS playoff race this year. But, uh... And- Again, it's actually RFK is more important than this game, even, and yes. that's why I'm I'm starting this segment in earnest by not talking about the game. But uh, Jason, you have lots of memories at RFK Stadium. Sure. So sit there for a minute and think about your your favorite one. Pick out your favorite one while while Ben and I go through our uh, less extensive. You know, I, I, I've been to RFK a lot over the last decade that I've been in D.C., but, you know, Jason's been here twice as long. Ben, um, you think about your favorite memory at RFK Stadium, too, because um, there, the, there are a few that, that I think any of us could could choose from, um, like a, on individual moments that, that I saw. I remember um, Taylor Kemp's ridiculous volley Golazo against RSL. Uh, was that just last year? And it broke me. It, it broke me. He, he shot it from directly in front of me um, on the field and I'm on the quiet side. So he shot it from my side of the field in, into the North goal at RFK. And I, I, I didn't jump up and yell and celebrate. I just held my head in my hands and looked back and forth just muttering, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. I don't know how long I did that, but it was a while. Um, on a small scale, individual moment, that one is up there for me. The the rain out in 2008 against Houston, um, when the field was essentially... You hear legends about the Roman Coliseum being able to be flooded so they could hold naval battles in it. That was basically RFK on that night after that monsoon that came through. And the Barra Bravo was... You know, we, we stayed out there. All the supporters did. This was before District Ultras existed. So it was just Barra Brava and, and Screaming Eagles, at least on the loud side. Um and and we all stayed out until security told us you guys have to leave. Game. And yes, there was a, a it, it was an everything game. Uh, my buddy Roger and I got stuck at Metro Center uh, for a couple hours trying to get home because Metro had a power failure before Metro failing was really the thing that it is now. Um, it, it was looking back that night was a bit of. Uh, an omen and not an omen, just a harbinger of things to come. Um, Ben favorite memories of RFK. Um, 
I mean, one of my favorite memories has to be my very first time at RFK, which was in the year 2000, when I was but a young whippersnapper coming on a school trip from Ohio, and we came to RFK Stadium and watched DC United play the New England Revolution uh, just randomly, and it was just like, I mean, even though, like, I, I knew I knew nothing then, obviously. But now looking back, even though that was an awful year for DC United, just being in that stadium then and getting that that first nugget was just like, oh wow. And then I don't know why this one sticks out to me, even though it was a bad loss for DC United, but the uh, the fucking playoff game against the Houston Dynamo, uh, the return leg after uh, Rafael Augusta should have scored a goal and got hacked down. Uh, but th- that return leg, I don't know why that game stands out to me other than the fact that I was there, but... Yeah, I mean... I, that, that, that game was just the, just the pure emotion, the pure just trying to will that team to win that conference final. Just... It was a great. It was. It was great. Yeah, the 2007 playoff loss against Chicago is kind of the moment that made me as a DC United fan. That's when I knew I was. I was in this. Yeah. Um, knowing how how much of a punch just straight to the chest that loss was, and when Christian Gomez had a goal disallowed correctly, I have to say a decade on um, because of a handball that he committed. Uh, that and being with the supporters for that because I was a younger man then, um, that was that was a lot of fun. Um, on a on a whole game level, the one of the best experiences was taking some friends of mine into the supporters section for the the rain game against the Red Bulls back in, God was that twenty thirteen? Chris Pontius had a hat trick. Um, the first oh, yeah. goal of which came from dispossessing Thierry Henry. Thierry it was Henry. just yep. uh, it was such a good fun game in such cold terrible april weather and it was that that game was just incredible to be in to be I mean, a part of one thing i will note is that 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 game you're talking about couldn't have been 2013 because we know that dc United did not score uh yeah it was 2014 rather i mean season. Um, yeah but uh 24 yeah. or was it 2012 I think it was 2012. It was, yeah, it must have been 2012. I went to that game uh, after my power had been out for like two days, um, and so I couldn't take a shower. So at a certain point, I ran out of time. I was like, I just, I'm just going to go uh, stinking to this game uh, completely unwashed. I'm just going to throw a coat on and hope for the best. And um, you got washed at the game. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, just go stand in the uh, the downpour for several hours. Um, yeah, during the tailgate, somebody had a big... Um, had a canopy with a TV set up again with, with a satellite showing the caps playoff game. So we, we managed to like a group of four or five of us managed to weasel our way into that guy's tailgate and like stay a little bit dry during the tailgate. And then, you know, it, it didn't matter once we got in the stadium, but uh, a friend of mine who grew up in Rockville and lived in DC for most of his post college life, um, who had never been to a DC United game told me that that was the most fun he'd ever legally had in the district of Columbia, <laughs> uh, which, yeah, that's, that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's, that's not a bad measuring stick. 
Yeah, Jason, um, you you've yeah. delved into your memory banks. Hit us with it's, the good stuff. It's it's extremely difficult to pick one. Um, I didn't pick a, one. I had half the time. Wide, I didn't pick one either. Um, there's such a wide variety of things. I mean, I remember going to uh, the World Cup at RFK, and and I went to. There were five games. They played five games of that World Cup there, and I remember um, the. F- the first game was Mexico versus Norway, which was really cool, um, and the place was packed, but it wasn't necessarily that intense because both teams regarded each other as like a complete oddity, like they had no history with each other whatsoever, um, and it seemed like everyone was just there to have fun. Um, uh, and I believe the second game I went to was the Netherlands and Saudi Arabia, so it was another situation where it was just like... Um, we're here to have a good time. Um, there, there's no rivalry or intensity to this. Um, one side regarded the other as a, uh, an afterthought. Um, but the third game was Mexico versus Italy. And the group, that group ended up actually being one of the rare groups in which, at the end of that, all four group, all four teams in that group ended with four points. Um, so every game meant something. Every moment of every game meant something in that group. And, the Italian fans knew that Mexico was good, and Mexico obviously knew Italy was one of the favorites. Um, and so to see the 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 World Cup level of intensity, um, especially having come from, you know, up until that point I had been going to indoor soccer games or the uh, Maryland Bays had been playing semi-pro games at UMBC's stadium. Um, to go from that to the World Cup, level of intensity was just it just was above and beyond it was like having to go into a new world um and to see the the fervor involved there wasn't any i didn't see any people attack any people um i did see a man throw uh, a mexico fan with a giant flagpole and a flag in the upper deck through in in anger at mexico conceding uh to italy through the whole flagpole off the upper deck um, not out of, like, maliciousness, but just his first reaction was to throw an object in his hand. Um, and then he realized what he had done, and then within, like, four seconds of that, he was being hauled out of the stadium. Um, <laughs> but, like, the, the, you know, the, the reputation RFK has of being a, a, a whole building shaking, it happened a lot that day. Um, and I had never been in a situation like that in my life. Like, this region, like... The earthquake that hit a few years ago was the first time I had experienced anything like that in my entire life. Um, mm-hmm. So to be at RFK and have the whole building shake as much as it did on that day, um, that was an eye opener. That that was like okay, now I get it. Um, that that was I was uh, twelve years old for that. I was like okay, I get it now. I I've read about it. I've seen it on a TV occasionally, but I'd never been in it until that game. Um, but like thinking about DC United, I mean. I, I've told this story to a few people over, over the years of um, the the first season our DC was at RFK, or I mean, their, all of their seasons they were at RFK, but that very first season in 96, um, I went with um, a friend of mine and his dad and my dad, and it was the four of us at the game, and these two dudes uh, of from, from an unknown Spanish-speaking country were sitting right next to us, and they were having a, a pretty animated conversation and they were passing a bag of something back and forth. 
Um, it was a bag with a bottle in it. Um, and my friend's dad, uh, enjoyed a drink from time to time. And he was like, he eventually it got to the point where he's like, I gotta know what's in that bag. Um, I gotta know what these guys have. So he starts talking to them and they don't speak any English and he doesn't speak any Spanish, but they somehow work out that there's a curiosity and he would like a sip of their drink if they were so inclined. And they were like, absolutely have, have some of this, this drink. So he takes a sip of it and he's like, I got, I still don't know what this is. I have no idea. Uh, I can't figure it out. Um, but me seeing that, uh, at like 14 years old, uh, it kind of informed me to the, the nature of being at RFK because RFK has always been this sort of, it's a stadium, but it doesn't act like a stadium. Like you don't have to carry yourself in lawless wonderland. You don't have to carry yourself in the way that you do at a Caps game or at an NFL game, or even, I mean, the closest thing in American sports to a RFK crowd is like a college basketball game, at least in my experience. And even at a college basketball game, there's like a certain level of decorum. And part of that is like, you can't sneak in a glass bottle of something in a brown bag. Um, that's not going to fly. You're going to get caught with it. Um, but at RFK, uh, you're, and I'm not talking about a small bottle, by the way, I'm talking about like a substantial size bottle. Um, yeah, this isn't a pocket, little pocket bottle of whiskey. This is like a fifth of, of something. Um, of some kind of various moonshine or aguardiente or something. Um, but yeah, just seeing those guys, like they got in with that and like just the, it sort of summed up the general air of those days where it was like, this place is completely different from everything else. Um, there's less regulation, but also like this isn't ending with people, you know, messing each other up. This isn't, you aren't fights everywhere. People aren't being violent towards each other. Um, it's what could happen if everybody didn't need so many regulations to keep them in line, um, which almost sounds like some sort of libertarian pipe dream, which isn't really what I'm going for. Um, but it was just sort of getting the the vibe at RFK was like, you can do some stuff that you can't do elsewhere, and it's okay because everyone's having, we're all thinking of each other still, we're still being mindful of the people around each other, um, but we don't necessarily need the uh, cookie cutter sports experience that everything else is going to provide. Um, and that kind of defined being a DC United fan for a very long time was that every other MLS stadium was like going to any other sporting event and going to a DC United game was a thing in and of itself. It was the, it was the only place you could get that experience. Um, bringing it to more, to more recent years, um, I remember uh, dealing with some fans that they came to the uh, 2005 Eastern Conference uh, final against the Revs, which uh, DC lost one nothing. They gave up a goal, I believe, in the fifth minute, and then uh, never got back into it. It finished one nothing. It just carried on like that. Um, but uh, these guys sat on they they came to the loud side, and because it was a playoff game, there was a bigger crowd than normal, and it's the loud side, so everyone stood up. Like right before the game started, everyone stands up. And me and my three friends that I was I had bought tickets with, we stood up because we've been coming games forever. We know how to act. And this guy was just like, "Hey, sit down." And we're like, w- "Then we wouldn't be able to see." You got to stand up to see the game. He's like, "No, you you guys got to sit down." Um, and we were like, "That that's not going to happen. Like, this is not what's done here. Like, RFK has has its own codes of conduct, and part of that is like, if you're on this side of the stadium and you want to see the game, you you should stand up or like go off way off to one side." He's like, I'm not having it. Right. So he kept complaining, and we just ignored him. 
Um, at one point, he threw food at us. Uh, at one point, he said that we were what was wrong with America. Um, All of yes, America? we were what was in, – in 2005, the four of us were what was wrong with America because – I mean, that's really the dream, is being accused of yeah, being well, what's was, wrong with it America. Was, like, he, he thought that was going to, like, affect us, and we just, we were delighted with it. So, um, uh, this was after, th- this might have been, um, after Jon Stewart's appearance on Crossfire, where he was like, you're hurting America, to, to James Carville and Tucker Carlson, and, oh, what innocent times those were. Right. Uh, but, uh, but Jason, yeah. you... You're, you're what's wrong with America. Uh, we were apparently, at least in 2005, what was wrong with America because uh, we were following the norms of a given situation. Um, eventually, and, and this is one of the other things that's good about the culture of RFK, is that the people that work there get it. Um, and so the usher came around. That, that guy went and told the usher that ba- basically all the things he had done, including throwing food, he said that we had done to him, um, at one point, when the largest member of our group walked away, he tried to goad us into a fist fight. Um, all of those things happened, and the usher came over and he was like, "All right, what's really going on, guys?" Um, and I was like, "My other my other friends were more drunk, so I had become sort of the diplomat for our group, uh, which might be of hard course. to believe, but uh, <laughs> is a role that I've had some success in." Um, and I was like, "Look, we come here all the time. We're standing like always, just like everybody. That guy has decided that we're ruining his game. We're." we're trying to ruin his game experience and <coughs> um he threw food at us he sworn at us we've never said a single mean word to him at all um so that's what's going on he's like all right um look this guy's gonna keep going and he's talking about like calling supervisors and whatnot if you guys just like move down to the screaming eagles um and i'll just walk down there and tell the security just let you in um is that cool and we're like whatever works for you man we just the guy's an idiot and we don't want to deal with it. Um, we don't, we're sorry. He's making you come over here and he's like, yeah, it's, you know, what are you going to do? Um, and, and I thought about it later and I was like, if this had happened at a caps game, um, where we acted like a regular caps fan and someone else with a ticket had, was that angry anyway, we'd have been thrown out and it wouldn't have been, they would, we wouldn't have been heard out. We wouldn't have been understood. It just would have been like, you guys got to go. And that would have been it. Even though we hadn't done anything wrong um and that's kind of an rfk thing is is the the regulars so to speak uh they know how to be um everyone seems to get it um and that you know that's the kind of thing that you can't replicate quickly it's it's a a culture of the whole building i mean i was trying to put it into words to somebody else recently and i was having trouble because it's like there's something different about rfk and it's uh it's in the air almost um, it's a, it's a cultural difference. It's the people that are there make up part of it, but it's also something about if you're there for even just a little while, you start to get it right away. Um, in yeah. that how you're supposed to carry yourself here is, is different, but it's not different in a bad way. Um, it's a, it's a positive, it's a, it's a unique thing. And for people that don't live in the area that haven't experienced RFK, I don't, I, I get the sense that a lot of fans around MLS don't they don't quite get it because they kind of missed the era that it would have been even more remarkable. I mean, it's still very remarkable today because, you know, people see, oh, they only got 18,000 people in their big old stadium. That's a bad sign. And that's all they see it as. But they don't, they missed the time where 
18,000 people at an MLS game was a big deal. Um, where having a supporters group was a big deal. Um, having a, you know, having security in the stadium understand that and, and acting accordingly rather than just cracking down on you because you're standing up. Um, all of those things didn't used to happen and it took a long time to get there. Um, so yeah, uh, I mean, those are, those are just two off the wall things. I mean, both of the games you mentioned, uh, or I, I shouldn't say both cause you guys mentioned multiple things, but, um, <laughs> you know, all of that stuff, it, it, it comes back to me really quickly because all of these random games, uh, had something amazing happen in them. Um, mm-hmm. you know, this Adam mentioned the power, the power outage game. That wasn't even the only game against Houston that season that ended with uh, a rain delay or, or a cancellation. It didn't end, yeah. Um, they, they, the Dynamo came back for, I believe it was Superliga and it happened again. Um, and I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that at the aftermath, my aftermath of that game, cause I stayed just as long as Adam did. We didn't know each other at the time. Um, but my friend Pat had skipped dinner. Um, and <clears throat> when we were driving back, um, even well, but like an hour before we actually left the stadium, we'd already had this discussion and the discussion was Pat looking at me and he was dead serious. And he's this was when Pollo Campero was a, a sponsor at the stadium <clears throat> and his dead, he was dead serious. And he was like, we are stopping for Pollo Campero on the way home. <laughs> uh, and I was, I had driven. So he was not asking me to stop. He was commanding me. And I was like, don't worry about it. We're totally going to do that. And he was like, I don't think you understand the seriousness of this. Like we're stopping at Pollo Campero and that's that. Um, and we stopped there and got uh, way too much food, and it was absolutely the most delicious fast food of my entire life. Because it turns out, being in a stadium for five hours that doesn't have power, you get hungry, um, and uh, you get desperate. Uh, we managed to talk our way into getting some crackers from the food service people emptying out the boxes, um, the the box seating with uh, where there's actual food handed out, or maybe the press meal of some kind. Um, we talked them into giving us a pack of crackers. Um, that's another RFK thing where it's like, generally speaking, if the power outage had happened on an, in another place, they would just be like, "All right, on your way, get, go home." Um, at RFK, it was like, "Yeah, we'll 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 wait this out." Um, and you know, you're talking to stadium people, and they're like, "Yeah, you can have some crackers." You know, we get it. Um, this whole thing is preposterous, and and everyone knew everyone knew the game was going to end without a result. It was obvious. Um, but yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. RFK is the kind of place where uh, magic happens that I don't. I don't think, and I've been to a bunch of other venues for MLS games. I've seen a few of them in action. It's just they don't have the same things going on. It's not the same. You know, we we joke about the lawless hinterland, but it kind of is the lawless hinterland in a good way. Um, yeah. And no one else has that. Um, even you know MLS's dream teams of Atlanta and Seattle and Portland. They don't have this. They have their own things, and those things are really cool. But they don't have the spirit and atmosphere that RFK has um, in its own way. It might not be as loud. It might not be as uh, telegenic. Um, but for a place to go for a game, uh, you really, you, I still think you can't beat it. Yeah, it's it's flawed in many many ways. It, the the sightlines yeah. aren't necessarily great. You're too far from the field. It's too low, um, especially if you're in the lower deck, the lower bowl. Um, it's it, it it is falling apart. But damn, it's a wonderful place. 
and watching a game there is a special thing, especially when you get a, when you get a big crowd there. I can, I think I've been to three sellouts at RFK. Um, David Beckham's first game where I could only get a seat in the upper deck in 2007. And the entire, even though there were lots of people there to see David Beckham and lots of people who were interns there just to, to take in, you know, whatever, and didn't have a, a rooting interest, a lot of DC United fans who don't normally come out, um, came out for that game and the upper deck was getting into it with the supporters like chanting dc united doing the claps doing doing some of the songs it was really cool to see and it's like okay this this is this is where this could go this is this is the possibility and then for uh, a gold cup double header i was basically um as close to the field as you can get at rfk in the in the third row on the quiet side next to the the north west corner flag um basically right behind where home plate uh would have been in in the baseball configuration and and from there you can see every seat in the stadium and the entire lower bowl was red white and blue for the u.s and the entire upper deck was blue and white for el salvador and you could spot a couple of jamaica fans a couple of panama flags um because that's who the two teams were playing against but in the first game, everyone in the stadium was rooting for the U.S. And it, it that was where you felt like the place wasn't going to fall down so much as implode on exactly where I was standing. <laughs> and it was such an insane experience. And, and the U.S. won that game and moved on in the Gold Cup. And it was, it was really, really cool. And the other sellout was the USA-Germany friendly there for the, the USSF Centennial which was which was also fun. It was a, a different experience. It was, I think, less classically RFK and um, more latter day. But it was it was still uh, that building when it's full is um, unlike anywhere on the planet, I think. And it's it's a wonderful place. And I'm going to miss it. Um, yeah. I think you can you can tell <laughs> Jason obviously going to miss it. Ben, I know you are as well. Um, yes. Audi Field is an important thing. It it ensures the continued existence of DC United, but it's okay to miss RFK as well. But there's one more game. DC United are hosting the Red Bulls with the Atlantic Cup on the line. United has to win by two to retain the Atlantic Cup. Um, that would tie the teams on points and goal differential for the season, at least in head-to-head matches. And that's what matters for the Atlantic Cup. United are the current holders, which means all they have to do is tie the Red Bulls in Atlantic Cup matches uh, for the season, and they will keep the trophy. So this one has to be a win, not just for the Atlantic (coughs) Cup, but to send RFK out in style. Um, We spent a good almost half an hour waxing poetic about RFK Stadium. So um, let's, let's do this part pretty quickly even though it is it is important in its own way but it's mm. it's not the the important thing that's going to happen on sunday um last time these two teams played not that long ago up in new jersey it was a wild wild draw um the red bulls played their three 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 one weird ass system um jesse marsh has said he's going to rotate players or he's likely to rotate players for this game because he has a midweek wild card game to look forward to. The Red Bulls are going to finish sixth. There's nothing 
anybody can do about that. They're going to finish in the sixth and final playoff spot, which means they will be traveling somewhere um, to to play a wild card game uh, one off. So they have to go somewhere and win on the road after this game. He's going to rest some starters to to give his team the best chance of that. All the better for DC United and and hopefully his uh it's not hubris, but hopefully his tanking of a or potential tanking of a, a regular season game comes back to haunt him in the playoffs. Either way, Jason coming off of um the four nothing loss with the last game at RFK with the Atlantic Cup on the line, how is Ben Olsen gonna run out his team and and what does what does that team need to do? Uh to to beat whatever rotated side Jesse Marsh runs out. I mean, I I guarantee that they've been talking about this game as replacing the playoffs. Basically, um, the the in, the importance of this game from a club's culture standpoint um, is super. It's going to be super important for them to win the game. Um, it's definitely going to be the best possible eleven they can field. Though the fact that Kofi Opare apparently is dealing with a foot injury, and we know Steve Birnbaum is out, means that um, that best 11 might not be all that strong. Um, there's not much you can do about it, though. I mean, United, for reasonable uh, a reasonable reason, moved Bobby Boswell along. Um, so I'm not sure how that's going to handle itself out. Um, it, it's going to be important for them to break, learn how to break the Red Bulls press. Um that first layer because once you break that first layer the spaces are there um they don't do a good job protecting their flank they don't do a good job protecting um the space between their attacking midfield and their defense it's just felipe and you have two wing backs out on the touchline on either side there's a ton of space in that area um where you can move the ball in and then move it out quickly and and you're not going to be interfered with um or you can draw those the back three. You can draw those center backs who who have all been told that they're occasionally going to have to step in and join Felipe as a um, very for very short moments. They're going to have to be that second defensive midfielder stepping into play. Um, if you draw them out of position, those gaps the gaps are going to be there, um, and you can play through the Red Bulls. Um, they haven't been they've been better in their formation since the uh, the three three game. They've done a little better with it, but. Um, they're still vulnerable. They're still not, they don't look like a team that's going to go very far right now. Um, and part of that is just the fact that they don't seem to be able to prevent those gaps from opening up. They haven't figured out how to protect those spaces. Um, and part of it is the way that that lineup works is that it leaves too many spaces and it's just impossible to do all the sprinting that's involved in all that. Um, so United needs to move the ball quickly. They need to, they will the big test, I think, is if they break that first line of pressure um, and make the game less about dealing with the Red Bulls press and more about what do the Red Bulls do when that first layer of pressure gets broken. Um, because I think if you do that, you're going to ex- you expose them pretty quickly. Um, so I'm 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 actually fairly optimistic that that on the road or at home against a uh, a team that's probably going to be resting guys like I imagine Bradley Wright Phillips isn't going to play from the start. Um, Maybe even Sasha Kleschen doesn't play from the start. Um, some of their players that have had World Cup qualifiers, like Fidel Escobar and Michael Murillo, um, they might not be playing from the start just to protect their legs. Um, the Red Bulls aren't especially deep. Uh, you, I mean, Gonzalo Verón has done a pretty good job uh, in this formation, playing as a lone forward. 
Um, so that doesn't improve that much uh, for DC's perspective, but a lot of those other spots, they're going to be significantly weaker. And I think that, um, you know, regardless of who, I think Olsen needs to do a good job of expressing the players that it doesn't matter if the Red Bulls play their very best players on their best day, you still have to win this game to send RFK out correctly because that's all. I mean, for we've had like, what, three months now where we've known the team isn't going to go to the playoffs. This is the one game that was left basically when the open cup, when they lost in the open cup, uh, round of 16, this was pretty much it at that point. Like this is the one game left that you have to win. Um, and it doesn't amount Mm -hmm. to anything, but it's important for the culture of this club to win the final game at RFK against a team that they historically have beaten at RFK regardless of, um, that team's, uh, circumstances. So, um, whether this is the Red Bulls B team, whether this is their their A team playing at uh, firing on all cylinders, uh, Olsen and the coaching staff, they've got to find a way to motivate this group uh, after a series of games that realistically didn't mean all that much. You've got to say, this one does. Um, this one game, and to Olsen's credit, he has managed to pick a team up that wasn't having meaningful games He's managed to pick them up for one big game and get the job done uh, back in 2013 in the Open Cup. It was It's kind of the similar situation. Um, this one doesn't come up, come with a trophy, but you can rest assured that it means an awful lot to everyone that's been coming to RFK over the years. And I think that's as much as we're going to say about the the game itself. This is a big game. It's going to be a big crowd at RFK Stadium. There's a Legends game beforehand uh, with a lot of big names, and it's a, it's a cool thing that the team is doing um, there. It's going to be um, an emotional night, afternoon, whatever, um, for a lot of people there. If you see someone you know, letting some tears flow, um, give them a hug. Understand where they're coming from, because um, it, it really is saying goodbye to an, to an old friend and it is absolutely fitting. It's against the, the metros. Um, I remember <laughs> that their last game at the Meadowlands, which I think was somewhat less emotional for them. I, I, I don't think that was bittersweet so much as get us the hell out of here, um, for them and, and Chris Pontius and, and Boise Kamalo spoiling, um, the last DC, Red Bulls game up there. Um, hopefully, we we this isn't spoiled, uh, and, and United do come out with a win. I think they can do it. We will we'll see whether it actually happens. Either way, last DC United game at RFK Stadium this Sunday, four p.m. Try to be there if you can. If you can't, fair play. But if you can get there, please uh, join the crowd. It's it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be a big deal. Um, at least for those in attendance. And that's it for, for us tonight. Thank you all for listening. Find us at blackandredunited.com where we write about DC United, US soccer, um, really mostly those things, but also some, so, some other things. We, there, there's a lot of spirit coverage and women's soccer and uh, whatever happens to catch our fancy in the world of soccer. If you feel like supporting this podcast on a financial level, patreon.com slash filibuster is the place to do that. Unless you're an advertiser, in which case just email us 
uh, filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. If you're not an advertiser, you can still email us. Send us your favorite memories of RFK. We'll, we will read them. I promise we will want to um, soak in every memory of RFK Stadium. So uh, write us something good and we'll read it on the show next week. Um, find us on Twitter at filibusterdcu is the podcast at black and red U is the website. Uh, we all have personal email or personal Twitter accounts that are also pretty easy to find. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, whatever uh, podcatcher you prefer. We're probably there. And if we're not there, let us know and we will we'll do something about that. Mostly, though, tell a friend about the show. Um, if you have a friend who doesn't understand why RFK is so important and why DC United fans are are, are so torn about leaving it. And like I said, Audi field is vitally important to the survival of DC United as in a a thing. Um, But things are going to be different going forward. And, and it's completely reasonable for people to have lots of conflicting emotions about that. And if you, you know, someone who doesn't understand that play this segment, the second segment for them, have them listen to Jason's words and, and the stories that he and Ben and Jason and I, uh, shared and and I think they'll understand it a little bit better. Um, tell a friend about the show. That's the biggest thing you can do for us. We'll talk to you real real soon. Until then, I'm Adam, and for for Jason and Ben, we will talk to you soon. And I'm rambling and repeating myself, so please say good night, Jason. RFK is the only good stadium. Your brain is is glowing and exploding out of your head right now, isn't it? Always. <laughs>